I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's hot in front of their drive to work. And once again, I still have my cold, so I apologize ahead of time for a little, <coughs> a little bit of coughing. But nothing stops the podcast. Okay, so uh, today is another in my series, Lessons Learned. So this is a series where I look back at sets that I led or co-led and talk about things I learned from making the set. So uh, we are up to Amonkhet. Uh, so Amonkhet was a set that I um, co-led with uh, Ethan Fleischer. Uh, so this is back in the, uh, the era of old school design. So we had a year's worth of design. Six months I led, and then six months Ethan led. Uh, we both were there the whole time. We just sort of passed over the reins. Um, and while Ethan was leading Amonkhet, I went on to um, do uh, Ixalan. I co-led Ixalan with, uh, with Ken Nago, which will probably be the next lesson learned. Um, <coughs> but anyway, so let's talk about what, what all we learned. Um, well, um, there were... So for, first and foremost, um, here's the, the meta thing I learned about doing Amonkhet. Um, I think I really thought about sets being top-down or bottom-up. Uh, and when I thought about top-down sets, usually the reason something's top-down is there's a lot of tr- what we call trope space around it, a lot of resonance around it. Um, and I used to sort of feel like top-down sets were, were similar... Now, I had done Ixalan, not Ixalan, I had done Innistrad, and then I had done Theros, and they were each a little bit different. Um, but Amonkhet proved to be even more difficult, uh, and let me sort of walk through why. Um, I realized that there was uh, two different kinds of tropes, sort of separate trope space. One was what I will call genre tropes, and one is what I will call um, cultural tropes. So genre tropes tend to be more based on pop culture. Um, if, if you look at Innistrad, for example, the horror genre, um, movies and TVs and books and stuff, like the, the idea of what a zombie is. You didn't study zombies in school. There aren't zombies. But you sort of got a sense of what zombies are from pop culture. Um, what happened with, um, with Theros was Greek is sort of a crossover between the two. Um, there definitely is a lot of cultural stuff that you learn, and some of that made its way into the set. Um, but also, there's a lot of sort of stories that are told. Greek mythology is pretty well known, at least in Western civilization, and so there were a lot of individual stories and stuff that we could tell. So when we wanted to get resonant, we really could go and lean on stories as a means to get that resonance. Um, but when we were doing Amonkhet, what we found was the audience didn't really know a lot. There wasn't a lot of stories and things that were known. Not that there aren't stories. There's as many Egyptian mythological stories as there are uh, Greek. Um, but the audience was less familiar with them, so we couldn't lean on them. One of the tricks about resonance is, the reason resonance works is because it ties into pre-existing knowledge the, that the audience has. So for Amonkhet, much like I had done for Theros. So for Theros, I had um, Ethan do a little bit of research into Greek mythology and write up sort of, here are all the different interesting things for us to explore. Here's stuff magic has done. Here's stuff magic hasn't done. And really map out what our space might be for working on Greek mythology. Um, so it turns out that Sean Maine had actually spent part of his life growing up in um, Egypt. And so he was very familiar, much more than the average person, with Egyptian mythology. So he was very excited to work on this. Um, but what we happened when he put together sort of his research is what we found is, while there's plenty of source material... It didn't really, it wasn't resonant because most people didn't know it. Um, 
kind of like some of the problems we had with um, uh, Kamigawa, which is we did lead heavily on actual um, Japanese mythology. It just was mythology that the average person didn't know, so it, it wasn't quite as resonant. Um, and what we found with Amenket was there was a lot of cultural resonance and a lot of sort of things you would recognize, meaning if you look at the set, there's a lot of things in the set that people had anticipation for. There would be mummies, there would be pyramids, there would be scarabs and deserts and the Nile. And, you know, there were things that we could work around. But the interesting thing was they were more larger objects and groups than they were individual things. Like when we were trying to do top-down designs, meaning this card represents that, that thing that you know, um, we spent many weeks and ended up with like maybe a dozen that we thought had some resonance. And then, you know, between stuff that worked for the creative team and stuff, it got whittled down. And even then, the ones that we did end up doing, you know, Cleopatra, King Tut, the Nile, you know, were eh, not, not nearly as resonant as like, you know, um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or uh, uh, The Fly, things we had done in Industrad, just because what we learned is that cultural tropes don't have quite the bang that um, genre tropes do. The genre tropes just are a little bit better understood, and there's a more of emotional connection to them, because when you're watching entertainment, you know, it, it more sort of affects you than when you're culturally, like, in school studying something. Um, and so what we found working on Amenket was that, not that there's not um, material to be gained from cultural tropes, but it's different. Uh, and the audience responds to it differently. Now, one of the interesting things about Amenket was it had a lot of um, visual iconography that was very popular and very well-known. Um, you know, a lot of people sort of recognize sort of the, uh, the, the look. You know, there's a lot of sort of visuals that go along with it. And I think the creative team did an amazing job of making sort of a world that was flavored, um, that felt magic, but still had a lot of sort of Egyptian feel to it. Uh, and they made, they made very good use of the iconography. Um, oh, another thing that we had done with this world, uh, which I think, in, in looking back, was a smart idea, was we, lay, we had two elements to the, sort of the world building. One was the Egyptian feel, and the other was the bolus feel. Nicole Bolus was the enemy. Um, one of the points of this particular set was we were trying to reintroduce and reestablish Nicole Bolus as being a villain. Um, he's been around for a long, long time. I think he's the second oldest villain in Magic, uh, only, only younger than the Phyrexians, and only by a set. Um, but a lot of the times in the story, he's been kind of behind the scenes. You know, he sort of steps out of the end and like, wah But But you didn't really get a sense of truly how, how dangerous and how scary he was, and that we wanted the set to really establish that, that he was really a force to be to be reckoned with. And we we had given the the um, the the Gatewatch had had a few wins. You know, and a, a couple wins, especially the win in, in Zendikar, where they kind of overcame a lot of obstacles to win. Um, and we wanted to set them up sort of like, okay, they're feeling a little cocky. Like, okay, they can handle anything. And that this was, um, we were telling a, a story, and this was sort of the first act that we wanted our heroes to sort of be a little bit overconfident and, you know, the, the villain needs to win in the first act, um, for those that know their story structure, that you want your hero to sort of come up against the villain and lose, so that, or heroes in this case, so that there, there, there's some room to build in the story. Um, so anyway, it was important that this world had a, a very Nicole Bullis feel to it. 
Um, and so there's a lot of things we did to try to capture that. Um, uh, so, for example, we used minus one, minus one counters. Uh, we used the exert mechanic. Um, you know, we, 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 did, we did some things. That, one of the things that we did with this set was we... <coughs> normally, there's a, um, what the mechanics are telling you, what the creative are telling you, align with one another. That if, if Innistrad, if the world says, I'm a scary place, well, the mechanics go, I'm a scary place. Um, and that there's a unified. But we were trying to do something a little different with the set, which um, I liked it, but it, it was one of those things that didn't quite, didn't quite play 100% the way we had imagined. So we were trying to get a sense of dissonance. And what that meant was our heroes, the Gatewatch, come to this world thinking they're here to save the world. They're here to save the people of the world from the evil, horrible... Um, Nicole Bolas. And they get there, and the people are happy. Now, the world is a harsh world, and, and you know, um, from, from an outside eye that understands that, they see how harsh a world it is. But to the people who, that's all they know, hey, it's the world they know, and that, of course you fight to your death. That, for honor, well, why wouldn't you do that? That is just the thing to do. And that they have no scope to see sort of the evils of their world. So to them they don't see that it's anything wrong. They're actually happy with their world. Nicole Bowles is their, their god pharaoh. You know what I'm saying? They see nothing wrong with him. And so there was this, this um, dissonance between the Gatewatch, sort of the world as they saw it, and the world as the people saw it. And we wanted to do the same thing for you, the players, which is we wanted the gameplay to really reinforce this is a dangerous world, but we wanted the visuals and creative to say, hey, it's a happy place. And that, that the disconnect between what you were hearing and what you were feeling weren't the same. Um, I mean, we did do that. I, I, I'm not sure we, we accomplished it quite as cleanly as I was hope, hoping. Um, I think it, we, we bit off a bit, and it, it was a tricky thing to pull off. Um, the minus one, minus one counters, I liked the minus one, minus one counters. Um, I wish they were a little bit more ingrained. I kind of feel like um, we sort of put them in and then some elements that we did in got sort of backtracked. Like, we originally, for example, had Wither in the set. Um, and when we handed over, um, Wither was something that was going to be there. And it ended up um, getting pulled. Um, I'm not sure that Wither needed to be in the set. But I, I do think the minus one, minus one counters um, didn't end up quite having as much impact as I hope. Um, oh, here's another major lesson of the set is... I think we overstuffed the set a little bit. I think there were too many moving pieces going on and that we could have taken a few, one or two of the things that were here and just, um, I mean, for sure, for sure, Hour of Devastation added stuff we didn't need and added some twists that probably we didn't need. Um, but I mean, I mean, even as we go through the mechanics, it's quite possible that one of the mechanics could have just been saved. Um, I mean, part of them trying to sort of simplify things was lessening the minus one, minus one counters I do like the minus one, minus one counters. I do think it added a lot of the, the cruelty to the world. And I like where we can find places to use minus one, minus one counters. There's neat designs there. And um, it's not something we can do often. So I've, I, I, I did like that we used minus one, minus one counters. I wish we had not loaded the setup quite as much to maybe allow us to take things like minus one, minus one counters and give them a little bit more, more space. Um, so let's walk through the mechanics that were here. Uh, so there was Embalm. So Embalm was the mechanic where you had creatures and they died and then you could make a copy token of them. You could exile the card from your graveyard, make a copy token of them, uh, 
and I, I enjoyed the, one of the things we were trying to do is we liked the idea that creatures die and then you bring them back, but we didn't want you then constantly bringing them back. And so the token counter was a clean way uh, mechanically to do that. Um, and we ended up using the punch-out counters. Oh, by the way, real quick, the punch-out counters. Um, I think those were a success. I, I liked the punch-out counters. I, I guess I'm a little sad that we had a set complicated enough that we felt we needed them as a tool. Um, but I do feel like they were interesting. And uh, one of the things as the head designer is I'm always looking at tools that we use that we can come back to. Uh, and the punch-out counters were really exciting to me because there's a lot of potential things that they could be used for. And so um, I was happy that we sort of tried something that was we had never done before. And, and that part of it, I think, was a success. And so um, I'm, you know, where and how and what we do with them, that's still up in the air. But I, I feel like there's potential there. The punch-out technology was interesting. Um, as, we're, as we're expanding and looking for new design space, um, it opens up potential and possibilities. So I was excited with the punch-out stuff. Like I said, I, I wasn't excited that we needed the punch-out for memory aid purposes, but I was excited that the technology worked and that it gave us spaces in the future to look at. Okay, back to Embalm. Um, if I could do Embalm in a, va- in a vacuum, like one of the problems in general that we learn about designing sets is that sometimes there's things that make sense for the set, but they don't make sense for magic as a whole contextually. So, for example, Embalm would have been cleaner as a double-faced card. I have a creature, it dies, it comes back as the flip side, and the flip side is, you know, white and a mummy and has the extra text about how it doesn't go to the graveyard, it gets exiled when it dies. Um, And it would have been just a cleaner version of Embalm. Um, Now, this came up during design... Um, Mark Gottlieb brought up the fact that both this and Aftermath could have easily used double-face technology. And double-face technology would have probably made a cleaner execution. Um, the problem, well, there's a couple problems, but uh, the, the bigger problem was that we, we want to make sure we don't overuse double-face card technology. Um, and we were planning to use it for Ixalan, and we already had signed off on Double Face in Ixalan, which was the next set. And so one of the reasons we didn't do Double Face here was because we're using Double Face in the next set. Um, and Double Face has extra costs that come with it, and you know we have to be careful how often we use it. But also, also we were trying to sort of you know, make it special for Ixalan, so we chose not to put it into um, Amonkhet. I think in a vacuum, uh, without that... I mean, the tr- tricky thing about and lessons you learn is... Sometimes you make decisions because you need to, and the set <coughs> the set has to take a hit from a larger game as a whole. And I think that's true here. I do think that Aftermath and um, Embalm having double-faced technology probably would have made it easier to use. For sure, Embalm. Um, uh, after, I'll get to Aftermath in a second. Um, <coughs> in general, I liked Embalm. I think Embalm played nicely. I think it had um, a good feel for the world. I, I feel that one of the things when you get to... Um, we did a little research on sort of what would people expect. And mummies were pretty, pretty big. Um, I am happy with how mummies played out in the set. I liked the white and black mummies. Um, one of the things that I become more and more fond of is 
usually when we do a tribal in the set, and we try to do a little bit of tribal in all sets and then more tribal in some sets, um, whenever we care about tribal, I like to push it to at least two colors. So just there's some options of how you can build your deck. You can do two monocolor decks or one two-color deck. Um, and one of the things I like when we go to Worlds is finding places to take things that we've done before but push them in new directions from a creative standpoint. I really liked White Mummies. Um, I thought it was cool, for example, that we went to Innistrad and that we used black and blue for mummies and that the, the blue mummies in Innistrad represented Frankenstein-type monsters, that these are science-made creatures, that you're taking dead parts and sewing them together and bringing life to them, and that those zombies were made in a laboratory rather than necromancy. I thought that was kind of cool. And, and it made it make sense that it was a blue zombie. Well, here we had servant zombies, and that made a lot of sense, that these are... These are sort of benign mummies that serve you. And the idea that those be white mummies was pretty cool. And I like the idea that the wild mummies were black and the sort of the controlled mummies were white. Uh, and I thought that was really neat. Um, in general, I also liked the idea, something we had tried with this set, was we branched over creature types between within standard so that Innistrad, two sets away, had black and blue mummies. We had black and white mummies. We made sure that there was enough uh, stuff in black so that you could run a mono-black zombie deck or splash blue or splash white or splash blue and white. Um, and that did happen. I think mono-black zombies got played and I think black-white zombies got played. Um, so I think there was neat things there. I was happy. I like doing tribal. Obviously, I like, you know, me, I like zombies. Um, and I, I thought we branched out in a way that introduced white zombies in a way that was kind of cool. I like that. <coughs> um, Embalm was a little on the complicated side. Like I said, maybe double-face technology or something would have helped a little bit. Um, the one thing we did learn about tokens is um, usually when we do tokens at common um, or even at uncommon, you know, there's not that many tokens so that if we give you tokens in packs, there's a good chance you'll stumble across a token you need. Um, while the technology of the tokens for um, Embalm was cool, I love that every creature had its Embalm token. I like that technology. Um, in Limited, it proved that it was hard to sort of get it. I mean, I liked using the um, the Embalm token so that you can reuse the card and use the token as a thing. I thought that solution was pretty good. <coughs> but anyway, um, I don't think Embalm needed to do Internalize in Hour of Devastation. I mean, I, I understand what we were trying to do there, um, and I understand the flavor thing we are trying to do, um, but I don't know if we needed the extra complication. Um, a lot of my issues in general about this block is it got a little bit ex excessively complicated from a tracking standpoint of just knowing what's going on, understanding the state of things. Um, I, I do think that uh, I, I, I do think that um, we sort of pushed that a little bit, and then in our devastation, there was like multiple things to sort of shift it how they worked. You know that that embalm became internalized and stuff like that. That it just. Um, I understand we were trying to do something new because of the small set, but it just... And I, I understand that the Omnicat Hour limited environment for advanced players was a lot of fun, and I, that's great. And I mean, one of the things that we've been trying to figure out is the balance of how much complexity is supposed to be in, in common uh, and then just in limited in general. It's more of an Ixalan thing. We'll get to that when we get to lessons learned from Ixalan. Um, but I mean, I, I do think the set had a little too many moving pieces that weren't necessarily there. Um, so let's get to cycling, which is probably... Um, I like the cycling mechanic. Uh, I think in general you can put cycling anywhere in the sense that uh, it's pretty flavor neutral and it's pretty universal and has a wide space. So 
cycling fit in this set, and it can fit in the set. It can fit in any set. Um, I do believe if you look at all the pieces, the one that had the least sort of flavor-bearing weight was cycling. Um, now, once again, cycling does some cool stuff and allows you to have uh, mana sinks and stuff. And it, it, uh, Cycling does good work. Um, I think when I look at the set and I look at all the pieces there, most of them are doing something very uh, specific. Where cycling is kind of there, um, cycling is definitely something where it wasn't that it didn't make use of it. And the reason I think we were cycling in the first place was we were trying to create some synergy with um, Delirium in Shadows of Innistrad and Standard. Uh, and we liked the idea that cards that you could sort of replace but help fill your graveyard out to make it easier to get to Delirium. Um, and that synergy worked, and there definitely were Delirium decks played. Um, our meta experiment of trying to make overlapping themes that were two, two blocks apart um, had some mixed results there. Um, but in general, there was a lot going on. And when I look at the set and I look at the design, cycling is a thing where it just everything else at least is doing something in the set. Um, now, I understand when I talk about complexity, cycling is not really what's adding the complexity. Um, so part of the question here is other places you can shave some stuff down. Um, but anyway, like I said, cycling is one of those things where it, it's never a bad fit just because it's such a universal mechanic. Um, but maybe it's possible here if we're trying to shave a few things out. It is one of those mechanics that's in the set that doesn't, doesn't serve the Egyptian part and it doesn't serve the bolus part. Um, it really is just there for larger functionality. Okay, let's get to Exert. So Exert was an interesting case where um, we kind of backed into a mechanic and ended up something that I really, really liked. Um, of all the mechanics that were new to the set, Exert is a mechanic that I most feel has potential to just be something we use again and again. Um, so the, the way we got to Exert was um, we were trying to do combat-oriented things, and we liked the idea of sort of you constantly make the effort, makes the effort to sort of push the creature. Uh, and the original version of it was something we had played with in another set, uh, which was you got an ability and then the creature died at end of turn. Um, kind of inspired by this card in Alpha called Berserk um, that I played a lot of back in the day. Uh, and Berserk doubles the power of your creature, but then at end of turn you have to sacrifice it. Or it kills itself. I forget exactly technically what it does. Um, essentially, though, you, you double your creature and then it dies at end of turn. Um, and I really like Berserk, and so I had made a Berserk mechanic, I forget what set we tried it in, I want to say Concert Tarkir, I think is where I tried it, um, but anyway, I, I, I messed around with it in a couple sets, um, I think it almost went into cons at one point. Anyway, um, it ended up being a little too harsh, uh, a payment, that, I mean, I, I, Berserk was a pretty powerful fact, and as a one-shot, maybe that's okay, um, but... It's a tough call to say, hey, this creature's better, but you have to kill it. Um, and so we were looking for a way to make it a little less severe. And Jackie, uh, Jackie Lee, who's on the design team, uh, suggested, well, what if it just doesn't untap? What if it's sort of, if I use it this turn, I can't use it next turn? Um, and we thought that was pretty cool. It ended up being really interesting. Um, like I said, the only negative to it, and this is, we had the counters there, is you've got to remember that you've used it, and there's a little bit of memory of what you tap and not untap. Um, but other than that, the mechanic just plays really well. It's a really interesting decision. Um, and it definitely allows you to sort of... Um, one of the things we're interested in is we wanted to capture the flavor of the cruelty of the trials and of, of Bullis' world. And we knew that we wanted to make sure we could sort of get through um, in the ground. We wanted to make a uh, combat mechanic to help people get through. 
Um, and I just really did that. I did a good job of sort of having the right feel we wanted, having interesting gameplay stuff. It allowed you to sort of, you know, you could sort of save up and exert things all at once if you need to sort of push through. Or if you start playing a tempo game, you could choose when to exert. That was kind of fun. Um, but anyway, I thought exert was, like I said, a really good mechanic. Probably of all the new mechanics, the one that I... Like, Embalm is the kind of thing where, okay, maybe we come back to Omniket, maybe we do Embalm again. But I don't think Embalm, partly because it's super flavor to Egypt, and partly because it's not a mechanic you do tons, tons and tons. Um, I'll get to Aftermath in a second. But even Aftermath has a little more space than Embalm does, but still, Exert really has a lot of space in it. It's very interesting. Uh, we word it in a way that's generic enough that I think a lot of worlds, you know, Exert would make sense in. Um, anyway, I really like that mechanic. Aftermath. So the lesson of Aftermath is um, you can't underestimate the, the, the power of the frame and the look of the frame. Um, Aftermath is a really good example of a mechanic that plays really well that... <coughs> <coughs> One second. <coughs> Coffee. Coffee break. Example of a mechanic that plays well that was not well-received for aesthetic reasons, not for play reasons. Um, and I, underst- I understand why we had them look the way they looked. I, I agree. I, I don't think aesthetically they're particularly pleasing. I think they were functional, um, but we need to aim a little above functional. I, I do like having frames that do different things to help remind you of things and serve as a purpose. Um, I even can appreciate some of the functionality that was built into this frame. Um, but frames have to look pretty. Frames have to sort of look... There, there is... I mean, one of the things that's interesting from an R&D standpoint is when we are playing with the cards, we don't have frames. I mean, more and more we're trying to build things in so we get more sense of seeing the frames. Um, in fact, the modern printing does kind of build in a frame look to it. And when there's art, it'll put art on it. Usually when I'm playing this with the cards... Um, we're not far enough along that there art exists, so I never see art. But later on, when, when play design is playing with later stuff, that there actually are sometimes sketches, but there, there is something there. Um, and we do design it now so at least it more looks like an actual magic frame. Now, when we do unique frames, uh, we, it's not built into the system for our playtest cards. So, like when we did sagas, we had to sort of fit in the normal frame and then sort of figure out how we wanted to represent them. Um, now, Sagas from Dominaria is an example to me of a, a more, much more aesthetic frame where we figured out a way to do it that helped what we were doing and added something that had an aesthetic appeal to it. Um, I think with Aftermath, like I said, I like the mechanic. Uh, it's not that I wouldn't bring it back. I would contemplate how to do it. I mean, double-faced cards are one possible way to talk about it. Uh, another way would be maybe there's a better frame. Maybe there's a way to do it. Uh, you know, there's hits and misses on how you execute things and... I think all said and done, the frame was a miss. I, I think there's enough feedback from the audience um, that really it, it aesthetically got in people's ways a little bit too much. Um, I do think the more people played it and the more functional they realized it was, the more forgiving they were of it because the functionality of it was kind of nice. Um, but, eh, I mean, I'm not going to mince words. It, it, it was not the most uh, pleasing looking of frames and um, one of the lessons of this set was, you know, it is okay to mess with frames, but we have to find solutions that really are themselves pretty and something people want to look at. Uh, and I think Aftermath missed the mark there. Um, 
I do like so one of the things we did with Embalmment Aftermath is really had a graveyard component to to Amonkhet. Um as we had studied Egypt preparing for it, it became very, very clear that Egyptian mythology is obsessed, obsessed with um, death. And so I, um, I, I think that was kind of cool. I like that that was woven into the world. Um, we also made the conscious decision to do a living, breathing Egypt and not a dead Egypt. Um, in a lot of times in pop culture, when you see Egypt, you see sort of what I call archaeology Egypt, where you know, Tomb Raider or The Mummy or something where you're seeing modern-day people sort of dig through ruins of it. Uh, and that has a similar aesthetic, but it's not quite what we were doing. And so um, we were doing bright, sunny, kind of living Egypt. And so I, I think that was the right call. Um, but it was definitely something that sort of we had to be careful. You know, it also limited... There's some tropes that are more dusty, dusty Egypt that we didn't use. And so... Once again, when trying to find trope space, um, let's talk about the gods. Um, so the gods, there were um, we chose just to do five gods here, and then the three gods in the second set. Um, I was not a fan of the fact that the three, the five gods in the first set and the three gods in the second set really functioned differently. I understand the story sort of gave some justification, so at least there was some justification why they didn't work. Um, I feel that gods are something we. One of my big lessons about gods in general is that gods are difficult and trying to understand how, what the through line is for gods and how to design them is definitely something that I was hoping Amonkhet would solve for us and in some level really didn't solve for us. Um, I, it's something we're going to keep coming back to. We're going to keep doing worlds that have inspirations that feel like maybe gods want to be there. And we sort of said, okay, we're willing to do gods and magic. So um, I, I was really happy when we made the gods for Theros, that we ended up with gods that really felt right. We wanted to do these gods a little bit different. Um, and there's some cha- one of the big challenges we learned from this is making your gods indestructible causes all sorts of problems. And maybe the answer is the through line for gods is not indestructibility. Maybe they're harder to kill. I mean, obviously, the ones in our station weren't weren't indestructible, um, but there there were a bunch of lessons to be learned, and definitely, um, I liked having five gods in the first. I mean, well, I guess we had five gods in the first set of Theros, but Theros ended up having fifteen gods. That was too many gods. We kind of learned from that, so we trying to make sure that we don't do we, we lessen the number of gods. I do like having uh, a cycle of gods and colors, and really figuring out how to capture the essence of those gods with the essence of the magic color wheel. I think that's kind of neat. Like, the god of red in this world, what does that mean? What is the, you know, what is Theros god of red versus what is Amonkhet god of red? I think that's kind of neat. And there's some, there's some interesting contrast and in culture you get to show. So I, that, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I, uh... So the, the, the gods, to me, had a little bit of room for improvement. Um, <coughs> uh, we brought back curses. I liked that. I think curses are a deciduous thing now that we can bring back when they make sense. I think the flavor is pretty cool. I think that they're loose enough that there's a lot of design space. I mean, not that you want to do a lot of curses in any one set, but curses are the kind of thing where we can do a couple. I think we probably could have done a little bit more with curses than we did. I, I think we probably did the bare minimum, and I think we could have pushed it a little bit. Um, I, there are people out there that really enjoy curses, and I, I, I think there's... Um, 
They don't tend to always work all that well in limited. You gotta be careful about limited, but I, I do think there's some fun stuff there. And I, in retrospect, I wish we had maybe done one or two Curse Matters cars, and, and maybe just a little bit more. Not a lot. There's a lot going on in the set, but I could have upped Curses maybe a little bit if we if we yanked at one or two other things out of that. I, I could see Curses like one of the things I'm thinking about is we did a lot at a little a little bit where if we sort of gave ourselves a little more space, we could just Curses could get turned up a little bit. Minus one minus cars could be turned up a little bit. You know, maybe we don't have cycling. Um, the other thing I'm questioning is part of me says whether or not we wanted aftermath. Um, in retrospect, what I would have done, I think, is not do aftermath and Amincat and do aftermath and Hour of Devastation as maybe a new thing to get introduced and then don't tweak and bomb. Um, yeah, I, I think what I, I'd be tempted to go is sort of um, pull out pull out some stuff from Hour, maybe pull out cycling from Amincat and then push back aftermath is my guess. Um, like I said, I, I think I, there's some stuff that we did at low levels that I would just up the levels a little bit. I would rather have had a little bit more minus one, minus one counters, a little more curses, uh, and just free some space up to pull that off. Um, also, the cartouches and the trials. Um, I liked how the trials played with the cartouches. I was not the greatest fan of the trials being the trials. Um, meaning that <coughs> the, what I expect of a trial is you have to accomplish something and there's a reward if you do. Um, and the trials were missing that, the sort of the ETB quality, enter the battlefield quality. Um, I mean, I like that there's a synergy between cartouches and trials. That gameplay I liked. Um, I don't think the trials did a great job of feeling like trials. Um, now, once again, I think that was a victim of some of the complexity going on that um, Dave had to pull back. Dave, uh, Dave Humphreys and Brian Hawley were the uh, co-leads. Uh, and they had to pull back a little bit because there was a lot going on. Um, once again, if you pull some more stuff out, maybe the trials could, add, you know, the... Um, it, I, I, a little disconcerting to me that the trials had no flavor of trial to them, really. You know, casting them is kind of solving them. And that's, I mean, I guess you have to choose to put them in your deck. But that, that didn't really capture a sense of, of trials to me. I liked the cartouches. I liked the idea that they were auras. I like the idea that there were something they got back. I, I don't even mind if the rewards from the trials were cartouches, but um, the trials didn't feel super trial-y. The cartouches I liked a lot, though, uh, and I liked the idea that you played them, they had value, and that you could get them back. I thought that was kind of cool. So I did like the, cartouche, the cartouches. Um, the, the brick counters, so we had a bunch of monuments that you built. Um... Once again, one of the hard things about the set is I talk about how there's a lot going on, and then every time I look at things, I go, well, but I like that. Um, I did like the brick counters. Um, I don't know. So the brick counters built up in the first set and then built down in the second set. That, 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 there's a lot of stuff in our devastation that I think we could have, we didn't need the tweak of. We still could be building things, even in a world where things were falling apart. Um, or maybe, Jeff, you build in the first set and don't mess with brick counters in the second set, maybe. Um, I do like, I mean, there was just a vertical cycle, I think, of the brick counters, and I think they weren't super complicated, and they definitely added a little bit of, of flavor to it. Um, one of the things, if I had to do it again, I would look at everything we were doing and line them all up, and it's possible that maybe for trying to simplify things, brick counters go. Um, right now, without having actually done the work, I haven't, uh, I know next time we visit um, Cat, I, I assume, it, I mean, if we visit Cat again, um, I would look at all the things we did and sort of analyze them all. Usually on returns, what we do to figure out what worked and what didn't and 
you know, in the return book I would use. Um, and so I haven't really done that. I, I just know it was a little bit over. Like my lessons is we, we, we sort of put a little too much ingredients in our stew. Um, what ingredients come out I'm, that I'm not 100% sure of. Um, I mean, one of the other possibilities is maybe not having the minus one, minus one counters. Uh, I think you you lose some of the cruelness of the world and a little bit of the boldness of it. Maybe that's okay. Um, there's not a lot of places to use minus one, minus one counters, though, so I don't know. Um, I did like the graveyard theme. Um, like I said, uh, we, we purposely overlapped the graveyard theme between uh, Amonkhet and uh, Shadows Over Innistrad. I think in the end that caused us a bunch of problems. Like, one of the biggest problems it caused us was normally in Kaladesh, the set in between uh, Shadows of Innistrad and Amonkhet, we would have probably done some anti-graveyard stuff so that if things get out of hand in Shadows, there's an answer for it in Standard. The problem was because the next set had graveyard components, we, it really limited our ability to sort of hose the graveyard because we didn't want to, uh, like, we didn't want to sort of hose the upcoming set. Uh, and so <coughs> having those near each other definitely caused some problems. So, like, the... It's interesting. I mean, there was overlaps that worked. I mean, there were there were delirium decks that made use of um, cycling. There were zombie decks. I mean, there were some overlaps. And one of the tensions we've been trying to figure out, and Play Design's working on this, is where do we have overlap and where don't we have overlap? Um, I like overlap where there's continued themes that you can add to your deck. What I don't like is it restricts us because we're trying to sort of save space for something, and then it it doesn't let us put answers in things that causes us problems. Um, but in, in general, I, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm mixed on some of the overlapping themes. I, I obviously, I think, like, I think we should have done a graveyard component if we're going to go to Egyptian world. Um, the real question is, is a positioning. Not, it's not that Egyptian world shouldn't have graveyard. It's, oh, should it overlap or not? And if it should, it got to be closer. If not, it gets pushed farther away. Um, one of the big things, like I say, that is, it's, that we deal with a lot that you guys don't necessarily deal with quite as much is trying to look at all the components around it to figure out what has to go in and not go in. Uh, and it, it can get very tricky uh, of when to include things and not. And there's a lot of times things we do so we're affecting standard as a whole and that the set will sort of make some nods to things that will help magic even though in a vacuum it would do things a little bit different. Um, my biggest takeaway, I think, from Amonkhet was um, that I liked it. I liked a lot of the gameplay in it. I liked a lot of the feel from it. Um, the dissonance didn't quite come as strong as I thought. I think maybe maybe we're supposed to sort of hit that a little harder. Um, I the the set had a lot less resonance or resonance is the wrong word. A lot, a lot less top down designs, individual designs than I was hoping we would have. I really thought there would be more there. It ended up being actually a big struggle. And in the end, there, weren't, there wasn't a lot of individual top-down resonant card designs that really came through. Even the ones we did, we sort of had to point, oh, that's Cleopatra, and I don't know how many people got that. Uh, so that's not a sign of particularly successful top-downs. And I think it was a world... Now, it was a world that had a lot of sort of cool, hey, it's a mummy, hey, it's a scarab, hey, it's, you know... Um, there were a lot of individual things that were cool there. So there was top-down in the sense of it's a thing. There was a little bit less top-down in um, the card had meaning, you know, like 
a lot of the fun stuff we were able to do in Indistrad is we were playing into actual stories, or even in, in Theros, we're playing into actual stories and like, oh, get it? It's this thing that you know, and how the card plays sort of reinforces it. Um, a lot more of the way Amonkhet worked was it's a thing that's known, <coughs> and we just have to match the, the general sense of awareness. You know, um, you know, I'm embalming. Well, what do you expect embalming to be? I'm, you know, all the different pieces to it. Um, I, I'm generally happy with Amonkhet. Like I said, I, I um, the nitpicker and me, we overstuffed a little bit and we added complications to the places we didn't need. And in retrospect, there's some stuff where we sort of, in, because of the complications, we whittled down some things that I think could have been built up a little more. So I guess my biggest takeaway is more of a, a larger struct, some structural decisions um, that we sort of have to deal with. Um, not, like, I, I was happy. Individual mechanics, I thought were good mechanics. Um, like I said, there, there, there's some choices and maybe how to execute them a little differently. Um, but Exert is an awesome mechanic, which I will use again. Um, I think Aftermath, if we could find a better frame for it, has some potential to return. Um, uh, I mean, Embalm seems like it's mostly going to be, maybe come back to Amiket, maybe see Embalm again, I'm not sure. It seems very tied. Uh, I don't think we Embalm in too many worlds. Um, but all in all, success. I mean, a success with some, with some lessons, uh, you know, it wasn't a knock out of the, you know, it's, I felt it was kind of like a double, to use my baseball analogy. It wasn't a home run, wasn't a single. I, th- I thought it was solid. I thought the limited gameplay worked pretty well. I know the audience, especially with our, really enjoyed the limited gameplay. Um, and, and here's the other interesting thing. I, I guess we'll get into this as I get to the excellent lessons learned, is um, one of the things that we were spending a lot of time about is trying to figure out how much complexity is supposed to go on in limited, how much complexity is supposed to be there, and the success of Amoncat really was one of the um, the points that made me rethink some stuff. I will, we'll get there. Um, sort of watching Ixlan and watching um, Amoncat and Kaladesh and, uh, and Shadows. And I, mean, I, I definitely sort of come to a new decision on where I, I think things are supposed to be. Uh, and Amoncat definitely played into that. The success of Amoncat and watching how the experience players really enjoyed Amoncat um, helped me sort of shift some ideas. Anyway, that's a, a topic for another day, but we'll get there. Um, so I'm now at work. <coughs> I hope you enjoyed my uh, cough-filled uh, podcast. Um, like I said, it, it's always interesting looking back, and sometimes you make a set and you look back and you go, oh, we knocked that out of the park. Um, you know, I, I'm really happy with, with, with like Dominaria and stuff like that. But there's other sets you look back and you go, oh, wow, we made mistakes galore. This is in the middle. This is a set where, yeah, there's things we could have done better, but there's, yeah, there's some things I'm really proud of. This is kind of a solid in the middle set. Um, I'm proud of what we did, Ethan and I did, uh, and Dave and the whole team. Um, but anyway, I'm now at, uh, at work. So we all know what that means. And this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. See you guys next time. Bye-bye.